Well, good day to you once again, and this is your host, Dale Bader, for another edition of Focus on Fertility. And today, we are joined once again in studio with Dr. Mira Albishon from the Missouri Center for Reproductive Medicine, MCRM Fertility, and our proud sponsor of this program, which we do greatly appreciate. And we're talking about a topic that uh, if you're starting the journey, uh, trying to become pregnant and been having some difficulties, or maybe you've been on the journey for a little bit longer, you probably have heard of either artificial insemination or intrauterine insemination, IUI, as a treatment option. We're going to learn more exactly what is IUI. So, Dr. Aubuchon, thank you so much once again for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for letting me come on. So, in the simplest form, what is an IUI? The letters stand for intrauterine insemination, and it's differentiated from just natural conception methods, which is more intravaginal insemination, or intracervical insemination, or ICI, which is where the sperm are just placed a little bit past the vagina, but still within the cervix. So IUI, is it, is it uh, I guess, artificial insemination and IUI, are they interchangeable? Because I wasn't even familiar with the ICI. All of those terms would be under the category of artificial insemination. But artificial insemination can be subdivided into those methods. The real difference from a sperm preparation standpoint is that intravaginal insemination, you don't really need to prepare the sperm in any way. You can just put it in the vagina as is, similar to an intracervical insemination. Uh, However, with intrauterine insemination, the sperm must be prepared by washing it to clear off any of the debris and seminal plasma and other items that can cause the uterus to become inflamed or for there to be an infection that can be introduced. So the washing methods for IUI has made that procedure much safer. Interesting. So, I when we went through infertility more than a decade ago, um, I was looking at things from a financial perspective. My wife was looking at things more, how soon and how fast can we get pregnant? And from the financial aspect, we were looking between IUI and IVF. And there is definitely a difference in the cost factor of an IUI versus an IVF. So, should who should be considering an IUI? Because, obviously... Financial considerations is one thing to take into consideration, but is IUI right for everybody? Should everybody give an IUI uh, trial first? I think that's, I think that certain groups of patients may benefit more, particularly patients that don't really have access to regular sperm exposure. So folks that are single, folks that uh, whose partner is, uh, is female, um, folks whose male partners do not have an adequate sperm supply for, for to, to have 
a reasonable chance of success with regular intercourse. Perhaps women where the the, there is a concern that perhaps the the cervix may may be less hospitable for the sperm to go through. All of those patients may be candidates for an intrauterine insemination. The success rates can be different, though, just depending on a number of different factors. And so in terms of whether everybody should consider an IUI or not, I think that it would be most reasonable to consider in folks where they can be a little bit more patient in terms of their time frame for conceiving. So folks where they might they might think about waiting six months and six months is a reasonable time frame for that couple because it can take a while sometimes to conceive with IUI. So that might be a good option for somebody in their in their mid-20s, early 20s with those characteristics that I described previously where they, they otherwise don't have any challenges to conceiving such as block tubes or things of that nature. I think IUI may be a reasonable thing to consider, but for folks that are uh, have some age under their belt, like people that are age 30 and over, folks that have very significant sperm problems, um, folks with tubal problems or other types of pelvic issues like, like endometriosis, people who have been trying for a very long time, over over two years, I think would probably be less successful doing the artificial insemination methods. A recent news story uh, that broke just over the last weekend was actress uh, Bridget Nielsen, former wife of Sylvester Stallone, delivered a daughter at age 54. So based on what you were just telling me, we don't know the, the, the details of her case. That didn't come out, but I'm assuming probably IUI would not have been the method of choice in that case. Right. I think it is important to to state what you just stated, that we certainly I, I mean, have not been made privy to this particular person's personal circumstances. But if if a patient came to me at age 54 wanting to know what would be her optimal method of conception, IUI statistically would not be would not be the the best option in that case. Are all IUI methods the same, the, the protocols, the procedures that go forward from office to office, or are there differences? In terms of the protocols, there's lots of different protocols. They can be as simple as, as no medications given to the woman, and then around the time of ovulation, she can have an IUI done or a little bit more involved, like she takes some pills with or without a later injection around the middle part of her menstrual cycle to further enhance the chances of ovulating, which is called a trigger shot. It can be a little bit more complicated than that, which is where we give some pills plus a few days of some stimulation shots to try to give the ovaries more of a boost in terms of the number of eggs that grow. 
It can be very complicated, kind of similar to what we use for IVF, which is all shots to try to get the ovaries to develop. And depending on the nature of the protocol, that affects the kind of monitoring that the person needs. That monitoring may be as simple as just um, checking with some home ovulation predictor kits, a little bit more involved, including an ultrasound done uh, prior to taking pills, and then an ultrasound done a few days after the pills finish. Uh, similar if the, the number of shots is, is very few. Or it may be as complex as six or seven pre-IUI ultrasounds along with blood testing to monitor the growth of the ovaries in response to the medicine. So it can really be, there can be quite a range for protocols. With respect to sperm preparation, I think that as long as the um, the whoever is preparing the sperm has an understanding of there, that there are some different washing methods. And by washing, typically the sperm is, is put into a test tube that has some microscopic particles that when the, the sample is, is spun around in a centrifuge, the sperm swim through those particles to the bottom, and that's called a gradient. And there's different concentrations of gradients, and some people may benefit more from less or more washing, and that all affects the resulting sample that comes out at the end. It's nice if it if the procedure is done with an actual andrology laboratory. Andrology means the study of sperm, and if they have somebody dedicated to that where they can actually um, assess how many moving sperm are there, that can give the patient some sense for how successful the process might be uh, rather, rather than um, just looking at putting a few sperm on a slide under the microscope saying, oh, okay, see, there's some sperm that they're moving. That's that's certainly better than nothing, but I don't think that it gives a very realistic portrayal for the patient for how well that specimen might do. So in our lab, we give a fairly detailed sperm quantity assessment and what type of washing was performed. Typically, how long is a process? So if I'm my wife and I are ready to maybe proceed further and, and get into some advanced treatments, such as using an IUI. Is it something that can be done relatively quickly? I know with IVF, sometimes it's it can be a month or two down the road. Uh, it, how long of a time frame are we looking at? Um. In terms of the timeline, the advantage of doing IUI is it is fairly quick usually. So typically if somebody comes to me and they anticipate their menstrual cycle beginning in the next week or so, then potentially they can either start medication or do what's called a baseline ultrasound uh, when their period is on. And 
the ultrasound would be a vaginal ultrasound, which would evaluate to see if the ovaries seem ready to start the process, if the uterus looks similar. And then as long as that's the case, then they can begin the, the medications. And regardless of the, of the type of medications that are used, then the, the final monitoring visit would be around somewhere in the cycle day 12 through 14 kind of time frame. I mean, there's some variability when it comes to that, but maybe about two weeks from the time that their period starts would be uh, around the time that their, that their stimulation would go. And then they, the IUI would be somewhere in the day 14 to 18 range, just depending on how their ovaries have responded to the medication. And then, um, and then the assessment for pregnancy after the IUI has been performed is sometime after that. So it really works out to about how long a typical menstrual cycle is, which is around 28 to 30 days. So if somebody was interested in an IUI, the whole process from the time that they start to the time that they check for pregnancy is about a month. And what is the typical success rate for an IUI? And how does it compare with natural conception? That's going to differ depending on the patient's own personal circumstances with respect to her age, the reason that she's been trying to conceive, the sperm factors involved. That the, All of those things affect both natural conception as well as IUI conception. So in an ideal type of circumstance, which is just simply that the patient just doesn't have any access to sperm, then in that circumstance, if she's in her mid-20s using sperm that's typically obtained from a, a sperm donor bank, the, the success rates in that case from a reproductive standpoint are, are pretty good. They're somewhere in the 18 to 20% range, uh, which seems to, to somebody not familiar with this world as kind of low compared to, you know, if you were going to have your knee operated on, you would probably want a greater than 18 to 20% chance of success. But in the reproductive world, that's actually about what the maximum of normal human fertility is, no matter what somebody's age is. There's a limit in terms of what we're able to achieve when fertility takes place inside of the body, which is, you know, what natural conception and IUI conception is just a slightly more involved version of that. So in that circumstance, that person would be expected to have a pretty good shot of achieving a pregnancy within about three to six months. But in somebody who is, say, closer to age 40, perhaps she's been trying for a while, you know, two, two and a half years or longer, there's some sperm factors as well that are in there. I would say in, in her case, she may be looking at a, maybe a 2 to maybe 3% success rate. And that's regardless, maybe IUI might add on another percentage point or two to that. So I think that it, it's... It, it's kind of 
rather broad what a typical person's success rate is. So if somebody is interested in in that type of treatment, they should really come in and have a conversation with the physician and get these factors evaluated so that they can have a personalized assessment of what their of what their chances of success can be so that they can determine whether that time frame is right for them or whether they should consider more expedited therapies. And there could be very well, Dr. Albachon, people listening today that are already in the process of an IUI or they've been doing it for a while and they just have yet to find success. At what point would you suggest to a couple or, or an individual you know, if you've been trying IUI for X or you've been going this route, what time should they maybe consider more advanced therapies? I would say it's reasonable that if somebody is committed to the IUI process, to try that for three rounds of therapy. Now, assuming that each of those rounds seems reasonable with respect to the the protocol characteristics in terms of how the ovaries are developing, whether it seems reasonable in terms of the amount of sperm that is present for the IUI, as long as that looks okay, then I think I would start to have a conversation with that couple if they've tried three rounds and haven't been successful. Because like I said, IUI is able to overcome only a very limited number of items when it comes to reproducing. And if it hasn't happened by then, then there's some Something about that couple that this type of treatment is not addressing. Well, Dr. Abishan, this is uh, very enlightening. I'm hopeful that it's helpful to those of you that have been listening out there. And again, just maybe tiptoeing in a little bit into the process. But is there anything additional that uh, you'd like to add before uh, we conclude today? I, I wanted to at least bring up some of the the newer technologies that are being considered when it comes to evaluating sperm. And this has to do with aspects of the sperm that are not visible under a microscope. When a typical semen analysis is done, there's certain things that are visible, whether there's sperm there, how many are present, whether they're moving, whether they're shaped normally. All of that is, is evident just on a microscopic examination. But it's becoming increasingly clear that there are aspects of sperm biology which are not visible under microscopic examination. An example of this is something called called sperm DNA integrity. And DNA is not something that's visible on a microscope. There are some specific uh, uh, technologies that are able to assess whether the DNA inside of the sperm is intact or fragmented. And if that is the case, that can also have some bearing on whether an IUI is more or less likely to work. There are some other aspects of sperm biology, such as looking for um, areas along the DNA of the sperm that affects that sperm's ability to function. And I think as time goes by, we'll start to learn more about those types of, um, of assessments. I think just a semen analysis is at minimum required, but I think it's important to know that even if a semen analysis is normal, there could still be some underlying male factor issues. Thank you very much. I think uh, that's very important for everybody to understand and to know. And, and if you're out there wanting to learn more about 
maybe what course or treatment you should be following or what steps in your journey could be next and would like to talk with Dr. Abishan or any of the team members at our uh, partner MCR Fertility, please reach out to them. You can simply visit them at www.mcrmfertility.com or you can call them at 844-414-BABY. That's 414-B-A-B-Y. Dr. Abishan, as, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. I appreciate the opportunity about this important issue. Thank you so much. If you've been trying to start your own family and haven't had success, you're not alone. Millions of people just like you are experiencing the same very personal and painful frustration. Infertility affects men and women equally. The Missouri Center for Reproductive Medicine, MCRM Fertility, can help. MCRM accepts most insurance and you don't need a referral. They offer the most advanced science and technology, including exclusive techniques and the embryoscope. Check them out at mcrmfertility.com. And that will conclude today's episode of Focus on Fertility. We once again say thank you to Dr. Mira Abishan for joining us today from MCRM Fertility to talk about this topic of IUI. Hopefully you'll find that helpful as you continue along your journey with infertility. And if you have questions related to today's podcast or may even have suggestions for future topics that you would like to hear covered, please email me at questions at focusonfertility.net. All previous episodes of Focus on Fertility are available via our website at focusonfertility.net and via the numerous streaming sources that are available online, including the Apple Store, Google Play, TuneIn Radio Network, iHeartRadio, and Podcast One. Until next week, good health to you and have a great week.